What happens when the streets understand politics? What happens when anger turns into passion? What happens if everyone was woke? I'm James, and my co-host's name is Billy. Together, we're trying to figure out questions like that and more, along while ranting and raving about today's political climate. What's up, guys? It's your boy, James. And I'm Billy. It's another episode of Off Center. We're glad to have you. If it's your first time, let me tell you a little about us. We're two everyday black guys. We're ranting and debating about today's political climate in the hopes that somebody is listening because we got a lot to say. Yes, we have a lot to say. And if you are very interested in what we have to say, please follow us on Twitter at Off Center Now. That is at Off Center Now. Here's how it works. We open up and we talk about hot topics. We pick the most important issues that are going on in today's current events. We sprinkle them with a little salt, dash it with a little pepper, give you a plate of current news so you can take it home, chew on it, and come back and talk to us on our Twitter page. All right. I don't have these fancy metaphors like my buddy James here, but in the second half of the episode, we're going to have a healthy discussion or debate, depending on how we're feeling today. But most likely, it's going to be a a nice, healthy discussion. And then we're going to leave you guys with some last minute words that you could also comment on our Twitter or, you know, you could just think about why you strolling to work or school or wherever you have to go. Healthy conversation is Bill's metaphor for us strangling each other. Basically, I'm trying to keep it PC here. Okay, <laughs> trying to keep it PC. All right, man, so let's jump right into it. What's going on this week? So my main source is Twitter. I like to see what's, what's trending on Twitter, see what's hot. Today, hashtag Walmart was trending. I was trying to figure out why Walmart was trending again. They've made it into the hot topics for the past three episodes. Right, right. It's your favorite store. <laughs> I figured out that it's actually a positive thing, James. They want to stop selling handgun and military weapon ammo. Really? Mm-hmm. They want to stop selling military weapon ammo. Yes, and handgun. Why is Walmart selling military weapons? I, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Are you sure they're stopping to sell military equipment? Like, what the that, hell are they even doing with it? Isn't that bizarre? Did you know you could buy caskets from Walmart? What? Yes. They released a statement. Hold on. Whoa. Okay, he... Whoa. He's really stuck <laughs> on this. I'm stuck on this. So they're selling military-grade stuff at Walmart. Yes, the ammo. The ammo. Military-grade ammunition. Yes. Wow. Okay. They're stopping it. G- good. Do they have a public statement? Yes. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. We understand our heritage, our deeply rooted place in America, and our influence as the world's largest retailer. And we understand the responsibility that comes with it. In a complex situation lacking a simple solution, we are trying to take constructive steps to reduce the risk that events like these will happen again. The status quo is unacceptable. Close quote, Walmart. Close quote, Walmart. Incredible. That was from Doug McMillian, the president and CEO of Walmart. What's next? We have that going on. And a lot of people was talking about David Chappelle. Oh, yeah, the Netflix special that I thought was hilarious. You thought it was hilarious or offensive? I thought it was hilarious. Okay. Well, some people thought it was offensive. Yeah, there's a a gaggle of people out there that were a little 
touched by some of the things he was saying. Like, what was one of the more controversial statements he made? Well, let's start off with how he opened up with joking about suicide. Oh, that'll rub some shoulders the wrong way. He joked about the hashtag Me Too movement, which, by the way, I just I need to correct myself. It's not the hashtag Me Too movement. It's just the Me Too movement. I don't know why we're putting a hashtag before it, but that's nice. Oh, right. Yeah, he claims he's a victim blamer. Uh, yes, I don't like that. Well, you know, I I don't want to call myself a victim blamer, but I don't believe the victim immediately. So you don't believe that you shouldn't blame the victim at first, correct? You believe in due process, I'm assuming. I definitely believe in due process. Rape victims matter. And potential rape victims matter. So we definitely have to put it out there that whenever a young lady or a guy or whoever it is that's a rape victim comes to a police officer or comes to a person of authority that when they say something's wrong, we at least take their word for it and investigate it. Yeah, I agree with that. And if the person is found guilty, we still should not blame the victim, which I've come to find out some people still do. And that contributes to things like rape culture and things like that. But, you know, that's a whole rabbit hole. And that's another podcast. I don't want to, you know, go crazy about it right now. We literally argued about this for two hours. Right. So we started recording. Yes. If you were offended by it, personally, I get it. I wasn't offended by it, but I get it. This is a polarized time right now. Um, Yeah. So the Democratic debates, man, they're next week. (sighs) Don't breathe like that. Ten candidates. Ten. We got it down to ten. Dude, that is like a massive cut from the 20 plus we had. What? When last time we did this? A month ago? Yeah. Can we have like ten candidates actually running? Is there still more candidates running than there is in a debate? Like, I mean, just drop out. I mean, but let's be serious here. If you make it to the debate stage, you're the only ones that the world cares about. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the other people like Mary and Wilson, Williamson, whoever, they should drop out by now. Hey. Watch it. I, I know. I purposely say that. I am. I purposely say that name. At night that people across the country wake up to her wisdom and wake up to her majesty and decide to go to the polls and, or go to online or call whoever or respond to that obnoxious text message that comes from that 411 number or that 4135 number. Oh, jeez. That's asking you how you feel about the current Democratic candidates. And just can somebody please poll my girl? She's got the money, but she just got to get the polling. Anyway, so while he's advocating for Marion Williamson, I I could read off the people who made it to the debate. And the debate is September 12th, correct? September 12th, Thursday. Thursday, guys. Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Andrew Yang, boom. Okay, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of each one. Joe Biden. Joe, I'm going to call Joe Sleepy Joe, but anywho. Oh, that's not right. It ain't. Cory Booker. (laughs) Brother on the corner. Pete Buttigieg. Uh, PC James. Oh, (laughs) mayor mayor with a rainbow julian castro hood 
Okay. I was definitely about to call him the Mexican. Kamala Harris. The sister. This <laughs> the sister. Amy Klobuchar. Can she quit already? Oh my gosh. Better or rope. As opposite of the Mexican as you can become. Yeah, what what is <laughs> up with that? He <laughs> Bernie hold Sa- on, hold Bernie. on, hide it. Okay, because I want to go to Bernie. Go, <laughs> Bernie Sanders, the socialist. Okay, but why you don't call him the granddad? Well, he is ancient. He is ancient. Elizabeth Warren, your next president. You could tell he's biased here, guys. As a mother, <laughs> Andrew Yang. Oh, you used to like him. I do. You're like the one Yang. who introduced me to him. I do or like Yang. him to whatever. He's giving everybody a thousand dollars. Wham. So basically, these were not like factual things about these people. This was just a quick synopsis of how we feel the country feels about these people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's time to get to the best part. Ooh. Let's get to it. Let's get to the debate part or, or healthy discussion. Okay, folks, to kick off this conversation about mental health, we wanted to start with a brief history of how we got to the point where we are with mental health and just the, the beliefs that we have centered around it. History tells us that mental health illness is something humans have struggled with for centuries. And cultures across the world have viewed mental health illness as punishment from God or some demonic spiritual possession. And believe it or not, it wasn't until like 1840 that the attitudes in the U.S. began to change for the better. You had activists like Dorothy Dix who pushed for mental health reform. And, you know, through her efforts, state psychiatric hospitals were built across the country. You fast forward to the mid-1950s and the attitude towards state-ran psychiatric hospitals and mental health institutions experienced like a major, major shift. This shift was led by high-profile reporting that shed light on like horrendous living conditions and human right violations in those institutions. And when I say horrendous conditions, I want you to think horror and slasher films like Halloween and Gothica. Bill, you're an expert on some of the conditions in the mental health and psychiatric hospitals in the 1950s. For our listeners, how was it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I would go on the limb and say I'm an expert, but I was doing some research and I found out that, you know, some patients actually wrote about some things that they experienced back then and actually witnessed. One patient wrote that they would experience this electroshock therapy about twice a week and they would round up these people to go uh, in a gymnasium and line them up make them take off their shoes and clothes and things like that and while this was happening these people were crying and pleading for these processes not to happen and it was just horrific and the numbers James did nothing It, it didn't help anyone it didn't make anyone any better it only hurt people and it made it worse actually Wow. Yeah, that, it's, it's, it's deep. That, that's really, really deep. And looking back, you can see how the mindset for deinstitutionalization took place. And that's basically the mindset that was taking place in the 1950s, where government forces and activist forces 
move individuals to community-based care. And when I say community-based care, there's not at a centralized location like a psychiatric hospital, but a facility that's close to home where the mentally ill can not only get treatment, but they don't have to spend the night there and they can be around the ones that they love. In the 50s that happened, there was a big shift to move towards that kind of care towards mental health. But in between the 50s and now, there has been massive budget cuts to funding that's allocated towards mental health facilities. There has been almost a reinforcement of the stigmas that are in different areas in regards to mental health. Here's a statistic for you. In the 1950s at its peak, for every 100,000 people, there was 339 psychiatric hospital beds. In the year 2000, for every 100,000 people, there's only 22 psychiatric hospital beds. This is a 93% reduction in the amount of hospital beds available to individuals who are mentally ill. Yeah, it, it was just funny that you mentioned uh, the government and public policy and budget cuts, <laughs> because when most, especially Republican presidents, decide to balance the budget, mental illness takes a hit. Jimmy Carter signed the Mental Health System Act. Ronald Reagan repealed that. The Mental Health System Act provided grants to health centers. Now, you want to talk numbers to talk budget cuts. You know, I'm not advocating for anyone here, but Barack Obama actually increased mental health funding by 75% alongside providing over 40% of mental health providers. Not to mention Obamacare (laughs) is quote unquote mental health friendly. By the way, 28 million people are without health care right now. I don't know what the current administration is doing right now. I know that he that Donald Trump proposed $5.5 billion to be cut from the mental health budget. I don't know if that went through. So I'm really glad that you highlighted Obama's work towards increasing the allocated funds for mental health. Because guess what happened as soon as he got out of office? What? As soon as he got out of office, the Cheeto decided that he wanted to cut that budget. And how he did was he cut the grants that fund these community health centers. Yeah. Right? Those grants are called block grants. Mm-hmm. And a block grant is a non-competitive formula that's granted and mandated by the U.S. Congress. And what the Trump administration has done is over a course of three years, they've sliced the amount of money that's annually allocated or annually given to that particular grant. Now, let's hit on that a little bit. Okay. So we have we just had the shooting in Dayton, Ohio, El Paso, Texas. The president of the United States came out and said that the person pulls the trigger, not the gun. Okay, mental illness is something that he was trying to connect that with. Now, you tell me, if you're advocating for mental health, why are you cutting it? So I can't have it either way. I can't have gun control. Oh, I can't have funding or mental health. So what's going on? It, it just has me thinking, James. You know, mental health is just another thing that America seems to be complicit about. Something we have to realize is that people who suffer from mental illness doesn't even realize that there's anything wrong with them. They believe that this is normal because that's the way that they are. When in reality, one in five Americans experience a mental illness in a given year. We're talking about 45 million people suffering from depression, anxiety, etc. 
The stigma behind mental illness is something that is devastating. It's devastating to people, and not just here, but across the world. I read a report, 800,000 people died by suicide, 41,000 just in the United States alone. That makes us the 10th leading cause of death and suicide here in America. Have you ever experienced mental health or known anyone with mental health? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked. I have several friends that are close to me that are experiencing mental illnesses, and it's really tough. When you listen to people talk about it, it's a very heavy subject. It's a very emotional subject. Mm -hmm. You can see the passion on their faces. You can see just the stress that it potentially has provided to them or placed on their lives. It's a very real thing yeah but you bring up a great point when you mentioned the stigmas there are tons of stigmas in our communities Mm -hmm. particularly the communities of color i spoke with my mother earlier today and i was talking to her asking her about just the attitudes that people had in the past and and my mother was a child of the 60s and 70s so i was asking her about the attitudes that individuals had about mental health and her response was well we would respond by going to faith. I want to take a moment and I want to talk about our people. Yeah, because let's talk about that because my dad, and yeah, I'm going to pick on him. Me and him have got to the base about this. Right. And, you know, so it's, I think it's something that is common amongst black people and the Latinos. They have similar, similar stories about this as well, I'm sure. But stigmas in the community around mental health or mental illness is longstanding in our history. It stems from racism to a degree because we're trying to appease the white man. And Uh, by trying to appease the white man, we add a layer of stress to ourselves. And then we have this mental health issue on top of that. And so it only compounds on top of that. I actually think that the racist part is us the mental illness came from us fighting racism over the years and us being a victim. Unfortunately, I I think, I think, I think you're right when you're saying that there is trauma that has made its way through the years. And a little later in the discussion, I definitely want to hit at how there's two types of trauma. There is that internalized trauma. And then there's the trauma that we, we take on because we actually witnessed it. Uh, well, I talk about it right now. Well, you yeah. got two types. You got two types of trauma, right? You got the type of trauma that you receive when someone calls and tells you that you know you have a loved one that is lost, or you hear some really bad news, or something bad is in your atmosphere. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's one level of trauma. But then you have the other type of trauma where you actually witness it, where you're witnessing someone dying, or money has been stolen from your account, or just yeah. something really I- bad happens directly to you yeah that is a higher level of trauma and it leaves a much more damaging blow to your mental health it actually increases your chances it doubles yeah it doubles it and so like like let's let's talk about those stigmas though back to those stigmas amongst the black community when we talk about stigmas we say that the person is possessed right uh, uh, let me finish so we that we have people are possessed or they are not living right those those are theories those are definitely those are definitely theories or conclusions. Okay. We have the mentality of stay strong, 
man up, tough it up. And see, that's that's even that's more than just a black mentality. You know, we got that from we got that from America. That's our American culture. Pull yourself up by the pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be strong and get through it. And that's very toxic because we don't acknowledge that there are times where you can't get through it. There are times where there is expected trauma and it's okay to grieve. And so we don't have healthy practices in place. But back to our people and talking about those stigmas. So we have these stigmas in place where we don't know if it's coming from God. We want you to man up and deal with it. And then the, the third and final one that is critical, and I'm, I'm willing to bet every black person that's listening to this podcast can attest to this. When there's issues that are going on at home, the first thing we hear growing up in our youth is what happens in this house stays in this house stays in this house so to what degree to and to the degree of if you're gonna talk to anybody else you better talk to your pastor no i mean to what degree do i get to say something like are do you get to beat me in here and what happens in this house stays in this house i mean what does that mean this is a place where we discuss it what does that mean Why, why why do you feel that our parents or yeah, the older generation really pushed that if there's something going on, you keep it in the house. Just let me rewind real quick. I I, I think it was a simple thing with um with what you was talking about with the stigma. And I just think our parents dealt with things differently back then. I think this is a generational thing. I think that this generation has other forms of defining things and, and finding solutions for things. Whereas a person might identify itself today as depressed or or having anxiety, a person back then would just qualify themselves as stress or I'm stressing out over a test and that this is normal. What we have to realize is if you experience these things on a consistent basis, even when things are growing well, I think you should get that checked out. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and disagree with my parents and probably your mother here when we say that, yeah, back then, you know, you guys dealt with things differently, but I felt like things were ignored. I felt like there wasn't a clear definition for things. Now there wasn't a scientific name behind it. This is our moment. We're the generation to do that. I think that you're right when you say that things were ignored. Yeah, it was sweeping under the rug. I don't want to go as far as saying sweep it under the rug. I, I, I think, I, but I do want to say that they were definitely under the mentality of this is a self struggle, and it's something that doesn't deserve the attention of a doctor. So, you know, we talk about okay, let's keep stuff in the house, right? Because I really want to get back to that. Let's keep stuff in the house. What are we afraid of? What are we afraid if the news gets out of the house? Well. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with my parents here. My parents wasn't doing anything unethical. It was just, you know, when they went through hardships, we didn't have to exploit it to the world. Now, that was just my household. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people that have the same mentality. And that's why I asked you the question is, what exactly does that mean? Because how many times did we go to school with someone who didn't all have it there or was being abused or something like that, which contributes to mental health? How many people did we go to school like that? And just imagine if they had the same mentality that our parents had. But we we were raised in good households. But imagine those deplorable households where they were told that and they had no outlet. 
that's what we're talking about. I, I mean, I, I, I totally think that it's fucked up. So what I'm trying to figure out is what happens if it gets out? Like, what are we scared about? Because we, we first think there's anything wrong with it. We ex- think ex- that's well, normal. Hold, hold on, wait. To answer that, we first have to caveat and ask ourselves, does this stigma or the statement of what happens in this house stays in this house, does that apply to the generations living today, right now? Yeah. Praising probably, kids? Probably even more. Probably even more? Mm-hmm. So is there like a level of shame involved in this? I don't think so. You don't because think so? I, I'm going off of I'm going off of what my parents did, and okay, so they like, were not like, shameful of anything. It okay. was just I didn't want anybody in my business. Okay, <laughs> it was just that simple. You didn't want anybody in your business. Period. I think that's unpacking. I think we can go even deeper into that because what does it mean for someone to be in your business? Okay, so you know, like if we're gonna just use the situation of mental health, right? Right. Let's right. Stick to the okay, subject. so let's let's see somebody has a mental health disorder of schizophrenia. I, I personally know about that. Okay. So you got somebody who's had, who has schizophrenia. The the mom, dad, black household hit him with the happened in this house, stay in this house. Says it to the little brother, the sister, whatever. You know, this diagnosis. We can't tell anybody about it. And it gets out, right? Mm-hmm. People on the street are talking about it. Your mom is at the grocery store. Somebody walks up to her. I feel so sorry. I don't know your mom's name. I'm just gonna call her yeah. Brenda. Which just be safe. Brenda goes. Uh, well, her name is not Brenda. Okay, let's keep <laughs> it clean. We don't need nobody harassing Bill's mama. Okay. <laughs> so Bill's mama's name is Brenda for the sake of this podcast. So Brenda's at the grocery store and she gets approached by Caroline and Caroline's like, "I'm so sorry, Brenda. Your son has schizophrenia. And, oh my god!" And now, how does Brenda feel? Brenda's probably embarrassed. Embarrassed, but, okay. Yeah. So embarrassed is accompanied a with what? Shame, right? Shame. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. No, you, you know, but you didn't agree with it two minutes to, ago. Well, because that's not the main reason. I mean, you named a scenario, so I had no choice but to agree with that. If you were asking me to agree with that scenario, of course I do. Okay, so tell me yeah. a scenario. Tell but, me a scenario but, where shame is not yeah, involved but, okay. with the information getting out. Yeah, please, let's talk real. Uh, because I, I am talking this real. Is, that's because, about as real as it gets. Yeah, because, Gossip on the street. Because because I know somebody that really went through it okay. where his father beat him. Okay. 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 Probably almost beat the life out of him. And they didn't have a name for what he was doing to this person back then. Okay. So, so it they, wasn't they, they, like, did you they know, tell him to keep it in the house with, me, biz, with the business keeping in the house? Yes. The okay. business was kept in the house. Okay. So what and happened was, if they got out? It would probably save this boy's life. Right. Remarkably, this, this boy grew up to be, you know, a successful person, but, that really messed him up so because he grew point. up with a with a household with someone that was mentally ill okay. and they couldn't put a name on so it. So let's use your point then. Let's use your point. If we have the stigma of what happens in this house stays in this house in regards to mental health, right? Because we want to keep it on that topic. In regards to mental health. And your response was people like my parents feel that they just don't want nobody in their business. Right. right. That is not the same in every case. What the fuck does that even mean? You don't want anybody get in your the hell business. out of my business. You know, if, if, so, the, so, if the water gets shuts off, if the water gets shuts off, you don't have to go tell everyone at school that, hey, guys, my water is off. That's what they meant by that. So what's the expectation that people are going to go out and tell? Because my thing is, if something like that is going on, aren't 
isn't the people involved who's out supposedly telling the world ashamed of it too or don't want nobody else to know i don't see that as something as they want to go out and just up and just tell the world to oh i don't have any lights at home oh you know what my cousin is yeah, having mental were, issues it's, it's, oh you know what i'm struggling or oh wait, it's wait really that's not something that you pro it's not something that you just broadcast so we have to ask ourselves children where, do we have to ask ourselves where did this level of secrecy come from it's not that deep Look, it, 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 it's, it's very not. that deep because your, this was, cause, cause your this cousin was, or whoever the hell that was that has this mental illness could have had a better life had somebody went out and told the rest of the goddamn world quote unquote so we have to figure out okay so well, we have, well maybe we maybe his out. teacher should have been knowing you know by his bruised ribs you know cracked nose how come they didn't notice that this boy was getting beaten at home? How come there wasn't a, a fucking public conversation about what's going on? How do you know? You just told me that it wasn't. I'm, I mean... You I, literally I, I, just I said it didn't go out the house and that he could have had a better life. It, you literally yeah, just, you literally yes, just said it. You literally probably, just said Okay, you got move, me there. So Moving we're trying on. to figure out why there isn't conversation, public conversation about Because they health. didn't have a name for it. I just told you. The person that was living in this household, it's not like they said, oh, my father is schizophrenic. I need to go get help. It wasn't like that. No, but the conversation could have been like, there's something going on with Jimmy. We don't know what's up. To that point, if we're going to be real honest here, research that is out there on mental health is very young. Yeah, and why is that? Because we just get to the point where the world believes it. Let's kind of shift gears here. Less than 20% of children or teens actually get the help that they need. But James, between 70 and 90% of people who said that they received the treatment they were supposed to get, they saw a difference in their lifestyle for the better. My question is for the government. If you see less than 20% of children are getting the help that they need for mental disorders, why are we not doing more? If you know that between 70 and 90% of people who actually receive the help are seeing better lifestyles. So that only leads me to believe that you could care less and that this is not a subject that is very important to the government right now. We have a domestic terrorist problem. Are we saying that these people are mentally ill? Is racism a mental illness? Is racism a mental, mental illness? illness? I really like that yes. question. Is that is that original? That's original. This is original. <laughs> that this is, is me good. just ranting on right now. That is so fucking good. <laughs> I really like that. Is racism a mental illness? Wow. Uh I don't know the answer to that, but I'm inclined to say something is wrong upstairs. Yeah, I don't you know. sound like me I, in the last podcast. I don't know, but you know Be what? Careful. I really like that question, and that's one for the books. So you know how I like to flip it and argue from the side that people don't like necessarily listen to. So for the people who believe that mental illnesses have been misdiagnosed or that the generation that we're in today is pussyfooting around issues where they need to just man up, scrap up their bootstraps, or woman up, lace up their high heels. Wow. I'm trying to be gender neutral, you know. Anywho, a lot of older people feel that. Oh, now I want to say older. That's a lot of baby boomer, boomers plus feel that millennials overdiagnose themselves and that we don't do enough self-care. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about it's a generational problem. This is some something that me and my dad has argued about. You stress out over a test. You have finals coming up. In 2019, I go get prescribed for Adderall versus in the 1970s or 80s. 
like you said, just pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you went to go take those finals. So we deal with things differently. But like I was trying to tell my dad, and I hope he's listening now, the way that we think now, we saved your generation. Those people who identified themselves as, oh, I was just stressed out or things like that. Those people, some of those people are homeless. Okay. (laughs) They didn't know what was going on with them. And people like us, this generation, who I love to brag about, this generation identified the problem. Now, we could go on the limb and say, have some people taken it too far? Of course. Absolutely. People have abused it. That's why we have an opioid crisis right now. Ooh. Let's let's talk real right now. Let's Let's talk true. Let's let's talk real, real and true. Okay. So, you agree that people abuse mental health drugs. Of course. And abuse, abuse the mental health diagnosis yes look at people who just claim i was mentally ill in trial now you could go to the mental asylum and you took the words right out of my mouth with that one because i was literally thinking of individuals who are on trial for murder yeah because that's always the most extreme scenario that we think of right it's murder Mm -hmm. right they're on trial for murder and the first thing they scream is i'm crazy yeah right yeah but you know i think there is some legitimate weight to the argument that a lot of individuals and a lot of people in our generation do pussyfoot. They do have stressors that happen in their daily lives. And because they are emotionally retarded. Is that rude? Emotionally unstable. Nope. Uh, you, you could you, be emotionally you, unstable for the moment. You miss, you're missing my point here. I've been, I'm, just not, <laughs> I'm not trying to say emotionally unstable. I'm saying emotionally ignorant. Because in okay. order, because they don't have enough tools to deal with the stressors that they're experiencing, and that and that's what gives weight to the argument where okay, well, you're going out and you're taking pills for something that you don't need to take pills for. For example, if your girlfriend breaks up with you, that doesn't require a mental breakdown. There's individuals that fall into a deep, massive depression because someone left them, or some other life occurrence happened where their father died, they lost a job. Right. Or they're not able to pay for school. These things happen, right? Right. Even though they're sad situations, even though they're unfortunate situations, even though they are unfavorable situations, these are things of life. And Hmm. some individuals out there, a lot of those individuals that I'm referring to are part of our generation, do not have the emotional tools to navigate those feelings. And to people like your father, I agree with him on those points mm-hmm. where these individuals are going to the, the psychiatrist and they're complaining about a major depression because of one of these life situations when really you probably should have just sat at home, did some self-work, talk to your friends, talk to your mom, talk to your cousin, talk to whoever to work your way through that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think situations like that definitely give weight to that argument and I can see it, but there is a line, it could be wavy, where you have to say, this is what you can handle at home, and this is when your brain isn't functioning properly. And the way that we get there is by raising awareness to mental health issues, raising awareness to the signs of mental health issues. Like, I'll give you, I'll take you one even better. Going back to mom and dad, what stays in this house, what happens in this house stays in this house. And the only other place that you could go to with your problems was church, right? The church has a critical and crucial role 
in minority communities, in all communities, really, in American but life. specifically church, minorities. Specifically, right? We need to train up the clergy slash the church, the pastors, to notice signs of mental health. Because by, by training them up, those individuals can go to the families and say, hey, this is bigger than what you think. This is more than what you think. For some reason, we have come to the conclusion that the mental illness that someone suffers is solely their issue. And actually, it's not. Actually, the best way to address it is, is to address factors around that individual. Yeah, a lot of people think that a mental health doesn't affect them. Right, a lot of people think that. Let, let's use a child that goes to school and is traumatized or it's having some kind of issues that's going on. Talking to the child ain't really going to help that issue. Because the child is traumatized by something that's going on in the household. And who's running the household? Yeah, the parents. The parents. The family is running the household. So if you're going to address the trauma and the mental illness that's going on with the child, you have to include the family. Mm -hmm. You have to. There's that open communication, that open dialogue, that talking to people outside of the family and outside of the church thing. We got to get there. So how to fix it, right? How to fix it. How to fix it. Yeah. I want to talk about... Some factors that contribute to mental health and mental illnesses, right? So these factors are safe and secure housing, structure and meaningful activities, gainful employment, interpersonal relationships, social connectedness, autonomy and agency, empowering and humane relationships with service providers. This is from Crystal Dillamont. She's an occupational therapist and assistant professional at Dalhouse University located in Halifax, Canada. All right. Now, these are factors that to constitute a sound and strong mental health. Right. Yeah. You know what? Also, these factors remind me of what things to keep people out of jail Mm. and to keep people out of prison. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I bring that up because there is a serious pipeline for people who have mental illnesses in the prison system. And how was that? So remember when we got rid of those psychiatric hospitals in the 50s? Yeah. And then Ronald Reagan went about again and closed every facility. And then Trump came 20, 25 years later and what? Did it some more, right? Yeah. (laughs) Let me give you some facts. And we're going to use Chicago because you love Chicago, right? Yep. In Cook County Jail, 30% have mental illnesses. Diagnosed uh, mental illnesses. Diagnosed hmm. mental yeah, I'm illness. I'm sure that number is higher. Did you, you, oh, I'm sorry. Did you know the prison health system is the largest mental health provider in America? So, are you saying that the most the most help you could get for mental illness is jail? Go to jail. Well, you heard them, guys. Go to jail, and you'll get the help you need. So let's talk money, and we're going to use Cook County. Cook County is in Chicago. If you're listening from across the country, we're talking about Chicago jail systems right now. It costs $150 to keep an inmate in jail a day that doesn't have a mental health illness. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is, say you're over here, you're over there. If you're over here that you have a mental illness, it's $150 a day. What I'm saying is if you come into jail, Mm -hmm. it costs $150 to keep you in jail that day. Whether you have a mental health illness or, or not. not, okay. If you have a mental health illness, that price triples. It costs you four hundred and fifty dollars a day. Now, are, are the jail 
diagnosing these people? Are Absolutely. these people already? They're, they're, they're doing more than just diagnosing them. They're treating them. And those are the drivers for the cost. So why are these people not in psych wards? Because they don't exist. What do you mean why are they not in psych wards? They don't exist. We cut them all. Didn't you just say like for every 100,000 we had like 22 beds? Where are those beds at? I want to throw this microphone at you. <laughs> I want to throw I mean, microphone. I mean, like, you're, you're really firing me up right now. So you're basically. It's, it's scaring you, yes, right? Like, okay, it's a scary Where's J.B. Prisker at? <laughs> Somebody's trying to give somebody some weed. But uh, <laughs> let's stay on topic. So in 2012, when you asked me what happened to those psychiatric uh, beds and those treatment facilities, Chicago closed down six of the 12 facilities that it had. Emmanuel did that when he first came into office. So remember I told you it cost $450 a day to house an inmate with mental illness in the Cook County system. It costs $27 a day to address mental illness outside of jail. What does that mean? Let's break it down. And, and so, I need lamest terms. I'm giving it to you. You have a prison system that is completely overpopulated across the country. The prison system is not only overpopulated but it is also the largest provider of mental health services in the country it is providing mental health services in the absence of the mental health facilities in the communities that we established back in the 1960s because of deinstitutionalization right so we say all that to say we're pipelining the mentally ill into the prison system because that's the only place that can actually take care of them at a cost. What that says is exactly what you said earlier. We're sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, we're, and we're, 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 jailing, we're jailing people for being sick. It's quite sad because it's almost like a cycle. And this is a cycle I made up in my head. You might have a different cycle. I have not experienced a mental illness yet, although I do think I'm a little crazy here and there. But the cycle goes mental issue. You have an unknown pain. You don't know what this is. Something is going wrong. You find a replacement for that unknown pain. That's the problem. Right there. <laughs> the replacement for the pain. That's where we get to drugs, suicide, murder, anything you could think of. But there's an outcome to this, too. I mentioned that 70 and 90 percent of people who actually take the medication that they need saw better lives. I'm talking things like high productivity, better education outcomes, low crime rates, stronger economies, lower health care costs. That would be nice. People who Improved believe that people quality are sick. of life and <laughs> income lifespan. All of these things would contribute if we just how much did you say? Twenty seven dollars a day a day and fifty Point five percent of adults in the U.S. that suffer from a substance abuse also suffer from mental illness. What? So Say that again. Fifty point five percent of adults in the U.S. that's had a substance abuse also suffer from mental illness. Shut the hell up. So it all goes back to what I just said. Oh, we're self-medicating. Right. This country is self-medicating. Go go back to that cycle I was talking about. Mm -hmm. I created in my head: mental health, unknown pain replacement. That's that's how you get there. OK, but you have people like Ronald Reagan who decided to cut every mental facility in the United States. And mm -hmm. this is a fact. Mm -hmm. You wonder why we have high incarceration mm -hmm. um, numbers because of that pipeline, like you said. Mm -hmm. So public policy put us here. Mm. That's how we got here. That's that's the answer. Public policy. I know I went on there. 
I'm just trying to take this wonderful conversation that we've had and extract all the goodness out of it because it was filled with so much fruit. You you named a lot of things that we need to do to fix it or find a solution. You know I'm a policy guy. None of this is going to happen if we don't have the federal government step in. What we could do, like you said, we could reach out. You know, we reach out to friends. How are you? How's life going? Let's talk to people instead of just texting all the time. Absolutely. Let's actually have a conversation. Absolutely. We, let's learn about mental health. Mm-hmm. Let's educate ourselves as a community. Mm-hmm. Like we just did. I think I learned a lot. I think you learned a lot. Yeah. And end the stigma. Let's end the stigma on mental health. That is going to help out so much because so many people are going to feel comfortable saying, hey, I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know if this is a mental illness or not, but I know that this is what's happening. This is how I feel. I absolutely agree. It's really important that we talk about mental health and we have those conversations where we're discussing it in those private settings where we're talking about it at the dinner table at Thanksgiving or we're talking about it on the way to the movies with friends or we're discussing it on the buses or walking down the street or on the phone mental health we have to remove the stigma from it because there are a lot of people out there that are ill that are hurting alone and hurting in silence and the only way that we can encourage them to seek help and the only way we can get them to get the help that they need is by opening the door of conversation removing the power of stigma from mental illness imagine how the mental ill feel imagine the stigma that's being put upon them right now with the mass shootings they they have to feel so alone I honestly didn't look at it from that point. I personally don't struggle from a, a mental illness. So I miss that. Yeah. So and we should do self-checks. Self-checks is also important, guys. Have a conversation with yourself. If you could be real with anyone, you could be real with yourself. If something is wrong, say something. Not just when you see somebody else going through something. When something is wrong with you, say something. Sometimes the best conversations in life are with yourself. Yep. Bill, did we touch on everything? I think we did. Mental health is a broad subject. I know that we didn't hit on everything. And I really hope that people took some good information from this. James and I would be willing to hear any additional information on mental health. This, again, is a broad subject. We do tend to tackle more things under this umbrella. But I did want to leave you with something. That if you have this battle in your head and and i've read a lot of people experience this it's almost like a war in your head and sometimes you don't feel like you're winning the war and that outcome could be anything so if you ever feel like you're losing that war they do have a suicide prevention line you could connect 24 hours a day seven days a week i called the hotline uh just to make sure i told them what we were doing they will connect you to your local physician or anything like that to try to get you some help. And it's free. That's the best thing about that. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. And I'll post it on our Twitter as well. Excellent. 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 All right, guys. This has been another episode of Off Center. Please don't forget to follow us at Off Center Now on Twitter. At Off Center Now. As always, 
appreciate your comments. We appreciate your feedback. And the final word for today is just this. Whether you're dealing with a mental health illness or not, it's imperative that you have a community or a group of individuals who support you and who love you, that surround you and speak positivity on you and to you. And ones that you can go to and express concern, whether it's a mental health concern, whether it's a physical concern, whether it's just an emotional concern. You need that support group. Without it, you will fall. You cannot fly on one wing alone. Yeah, we we will fall. We will fall as a community. Yes, we sure Mm -hmm. will. It's been real. Until next time.